Welcome to the Legacy Pod. In episode 7, I spoke to Fran Whitfield, a London-based personal trainer who at the age of 25 was diagnosed with cancer and told she has just two years left to live. Fran talked about the moment she was told she could die, her anger and refusal to accept death as a foregone conclusion, the physical and mental battle of undergoing chemo during a global pandemic, and the importance of exercise and staying healthy even when you have cancer. This is one of the most inspiring stories I've ever heard from someone who simply knew she hadn't finished living her life. There's so much to enjoy and admire about this conversation, but one of the most important messages Fran passed on was that no matter how young you are, if something doesn't seem right with your health, get yourself checked out and demand the proper treatment. Enjoy. Fran Whitfield, welcome to the Legacy Pod. Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me to come on. It's an absolute, absolute pleasure. Um, I guess for anyone that maybe isn't aware of your story, Fran, can you just give a, a quick overview of the journey you've been on for the past few months, the past year, if you can do that quickly? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'll try and like snap it all down. Um, so I actually started in January 2019. I found a uh, breast lump. And I went up to the GP to um, get examined. She confirmed that it was a lump, so I got referred for an ultrasound. But when I went for the ultrasound, um, they didn't give it to me because I was deemed as young and hormonal. So she felt the lump. She thought that it was a hormonal lump. I was 24 at the time. Um, And that was that, really. I was kind of pretty much sent back out the door, didn't have the scan that I was supposed to. So for 18 months, I then just thought it's just a hormonal lump. That's all it is. It's nothing to worry about. Um, and then last year in the first lockdown, um, I started to get a little bit worried about it, a bit more kind of concerned about it. I just didn't feel like there was something quite right. Um, and it, it and it, cause it never had gone. It had always stayed there, but in my mind, I just thought it's just a hormone, like, you know, don't waste their time. Yeah. It's just a hormone lump. She said it's normal. Um, and then in May last year, I had an accident, um, when I was training out in my garden and I paralyzed my left leg so I went in for emergency spinal surgery and then that kind of just distracted me from the lump because I was going to go and get it checked and then I had that and then I thought then obviously that took my focus for um, a couple months so then it got to July though and I was in the shower and I noticed that um, where the lump was the skin had started to basically pull in so there was like a dimple essentially where the lump was um and I knew that wasn't a good sign but again with hormonal lumps they do say that if the hormonal lumps do grow um it can also produce a a pull of the skin if it attaches to the skin so I was kind of in this like mix of do I go back they said it was normal I didn't need a scan last time coronavirus you know all of that um am I wasting their time but um I called up and said that I wasn't happy with it. I really wanted to get this checked out. Um, Because of COVID, all the delays and everything, um, it was going to take quite a while. So I went to a rapid diagnostic clinic instead, um, privately, just because I really wanted to just clear it all out. Um, Went in, he examined it, said to me, asked me to come back, sit down with him after he examined it. And I kind of 
when he said that, I was, oh God, I've wasted his time. He's annoyed at me for coming. Um, and sat down and he said to me, I need you to go next door. I need you to have a, an ultrasound and um, most likely a biopsy. So I was kind of like, okay, maybe this is routine. Maybe this is what they do at a yeah. rapid diagnostic. Uh, went next door, um, had the radiologist do the ultrasound and then she did the biopsy there and then. Went back through to the room with the consultant and he said to me then that he needed to be honest with me that he is very concerned with what he has examined himself and that the woman next door had emailed through um, and had expressed her concerns as well from what she saw on the ultrasound. Um, so I needed to come back in three days time to collect the results, but I needed to bring a chaperone with me. So it was kind of at that point that I thought, okay, this isn't normal. This isn't yeah. just a normal hormonal lump. Um, and I knew in my gut that something wasn't right. So went back in three days later with my mum and, uh, yeah, they confirmed that it was breast cancer. Um, at the time that he got the results back and they got the genetics of the tumor, um, it was graded a two, it was graded non-aggressive, which was quite uncommon for someone that's young, usually in young cancer. Um, it can be very aggressive because your cells are constantly regenerating very quickly. So I tend to find that in uh, young adults, actually you get quite aggressive cancers. Um, but with mine, it was coming back non-aggressive. Um, he said, you know, we can cure this, we can sort it out. So um, it kind of seemed like a positive at the time. Um, within the two weeks post that diagnosis, though, I had about seven different scans, I think it was in the end. Um, I went for a routine CT scan, breast MRI. The CT scan flushed up something in my liver. Um, so I then had a liver MRI, which then came back clear. It was benign. It was just a benign lump. But then they did a PET scan as well, just to be sure of everything, because everything else was clear, like lymph nodes yeah. clear, lungs clear, spine clear, everything that kind of felt, and liver, obviously, that came back as benign. Um, the, the sort of common places the breast cancer would spread to, everything was clear. So it was looking all right, but, you know, then I had the, obviously, the liver sort of threw something up. So they did a PET scan just to be extra safe. And then when I went back in after that, he then said, we've noticed something in your brain um that it was flashing up on the PET scan was I aware of anything that could potentially be there had no idea never had any kind of brain injury or anything of the sort um and so then they did a brain MRI um went in for my brain MRI got the results of that with the my old oncologist who confirmed that there was a two centimeter tumor in uh the side of my head it was located around here just behind my right eye um and she essentially said to me we can't confirm whether or not this is secondary to the breast if it is cancer but if it is we are looking at about two years um so my world kind of crashed at that point I had no idea what on earth was going on all of this happened in you know two weeks from being diagnosed to suddenly I could potentially now have a brain tumor no. um Sorry, two, two years to live yes wow yeah yeah so she said that I would have two years to live um, or at best 10. Um, so I was kind of sat there thinking, well, what on earth do I do by the time I'm 35 at best? Um, or you're telling me that I could basically have until I'm 27 to live my life. Um, and the kind of like the numbness and the upset that I felt very quickly turned into anger. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't going to have someone say to me that I only had two years to live my life. Um, 
I thankfully had a a very, very good neurosurgeon who came on board um, and literally about four days, yeah, it was about four days after I had my, like got the result that I had a brain tumour. They wheeled me in, did surgery, I kind of signed on the dotted line. It was a case of either we treat this as potentially it is cancer or we try and remove this. Um, What do you want to do? And so I just said, go for it, get it out. We can confirm what it is and what it isn't. Um, so I had brain surgery and a craniotomy. So they sliced me from kind of like the top of my head round to the side of my ear, um, took out part of my skull, took out the tumor. Um, they had to leave a little bit in because it's basically embedded in the muscles and the nerves. So they can't touch that part because otherwise I'll be left with permanent muscle and nerve damage. Um, so yeah, got the most part out though. Um, and then two days later, um, no, not two days later, sorry, two weeks later. Actually, it was the day of my grandmother's funeral, which was even better. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, I found out that it was secondary. So it was kind of uh, very much a whirlwind month, I think it was in the end, from between me finding out that I had breast cancer to then me finding out that I now had metastatic breast cancer. Um had no idea what it meant really kind of you know you google it and google basically yeah. just says death um so yeah. never google anything it just you know it's very very destructive um but at that point we changed hospitals so i didn't want someone saying to me you know doom and gloom and you know, numbers to my life um so i changed to a different hospital I changed to the royal marsden in london which is a cancer specialist hospital um and I got an incredible oncologist. Um, I'm not the norm. Well, not that any case of cancer is normal, but they're very, they um, do like to say to me that I'm very much a gray area and I'm a bit medically strange. So um, I think he was quite excited to get this case and kind of have a crack on what on earth do we do? Um, yeah. did, you, but, did you take that as a compliment? <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit. I think, you know, it's, it's good to be different, yeah. isn't it? Um, kind of hoping it will work to my advantage because then, you know, I won't just be another statistic. Hopefully I can still fight this and um, get rid of this. Um, and yeah, so then I started chemotherapy because um, I got a, so there's another test that they can do called an endopredict. And that basically will give you an insight into how um, likely it is for your cancer to reoccur. Um, so it's scored basically and um, the higher the score obviously the more chance you have of your cancer coming back at some point later in your life Um, I scored high on that which was no kind of real shock because obviously mine had already um, spread but because of that and also the fact that the the score does also indicate whether chemotherapy will be effective so at the beginning we were hoping to not have to use chemo um, because it's hormone responsive so it means that my estrogen and my progesterone are creating my cancer essentially so to counteract that they block the hormones so they put you on hormonal treatment to block your body from producing those hormones and then that will then stop the cancer from growing Um, that was kind of my plan but then this score came back as high. So um, chemotherapy was kind of the way that we had to go, which was my absolute worst nightmare. I didn't want to have to do chemo. I was petrified of chemo. Um, but knew that at the end of the day, it was the best way to go. Um, and still ringing in my ear, I had the, you know, two years, two years. I still two had years, that yeah. on the, the old oncologist. So I was like, I will do whatever I have to do to not have that. 
Um, so I started in October, 1st of October. It was the day after my 26th birthday, started chemo. Um, and then I just finished my 16 rounds of chemo this week on Tuesday. Um, so got through it, got through those 16 rounds. Um, and then I had more brain scans yesterday. So I had my brain scan, my PET scan to assess what's left, if there is anything. Um, and now we're just kind of starting with the rest of the treatment, which will be potentially radiotherapy on my head. Then I'll have surgery on my breast to remove, um, the lump that's left, but thankfully yeah. it's shrank a lot. So there isn't actually much there anymore. Um, and then they'll be putting me on hormonal therapy for at least five years. So I'll be on that for blocking all my hormones for at least five years to try and stop any kind of reoccurrence coming back. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, <laughs> in a nutshell, wow. that has been, um, my crazy ride so far. <laughs> it, it's been phenomenal. It's, uh, the journey and just the timeline of it all is is quite incredible um but and there's a lot to jump into there but those three days that three days that, that you had to wait how difficult mm. was that because as you say you probably had a had, a, had an idea that something was going on but what was the the sort of mental torture yeah. like when you're waiting for those results um so the people that I because I told obviously people that were close to me I told my family and I think you know, everyone tries to be really positive and everyone yeah. sort of tries to say, you know, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. It, you know, this can happen. Like they, yeah. you know, try and comfort you and sort of saying they, they bring a chaperone just in case, like, it, you know, it'll be okay. And I think everyone tried to convince themselves that it would be okay. But I knew in myself, this wasn't okay. I saw yeah. the look in his eye. I heard the tone of his voice. Um, and I knew in my gut that this wasn't, this just wasn't right. You know, I've, I had this now for 18 months. It wasn't getting any smaller. Um, and I just think that in a, in a strange way, you just, you know, your body. And I knew that it just wasn't going to be okay. Um, and yeah, the mental torture of that is incredibly hard. You kind of, your mind then starts to run away with you because then it's like, well, what if it is cancer? What does that mean? Does it mean that I'm going to die? Does it mean that I have yeah. to have chemo? Does it? And you start kind of like mapping out this whole plan in your head, but you actually have no idea what it's going to be. So I very quickly try to kind of snap out of that and just think, well, right now I don't have a clue what's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be cancer. And if it is, I don't know what type, what treatment plan, you know, any of that. So, um, I just took it and I've kind of maintained this mentality throughout the whole of my treatment of just one step. So I just knew that all I needed to focus on was in three days time, I'm going to get a result, but then that's my step. And don't yeah. think anything, anything further than that. Um, and then once I've got my result, then it's like, well, what's the next step? So then the next step was an MRI CT scan. So I thought, okay, well, that's my next step, but I'm not going to think about the results yet. I'm just going to think, my next step is go in, put the gown on, have a scan, and that's it. Um, so I think it's just I took things very, like, just very, very small steps as I went through. Um, and in those days, it's it's not really, you know, when people say, oh, just try and distract yourself, it's not possible. Like, with yeah. you, if you've got those results looming, you can't just kind of go for a walk or go for a run and um, watch some TV or something like that and distract yourself because it's it's there. But I think... There's, if, there's no escaping from your own head, is there? There's no escaping yeah. from yeah and you can do you know you can do meditation you can do mindfulness techniques and things like that but when you're faced with the 
prognosis of the fact that you could have cancer, I think it's very difficult to kind of do a mindfulness 10 minutes and distract yourself from that. So the way that I just went about it was just to think, um, what is the next step? And don't think anything further ahead than that. And that just helped me get through those three days. I just thought, okay, well, you know, I will get the result and we deal with whatever comes at that point. I mean, to get that diagnosis, first of all, anyway, you know, that's that's a huge obstacle in your life for a, for a start. But to get the second diagnosis, how do you even start processing that? Um, at first I didn't. Uh, I was incredibly numb. I just remember coming home from getting that second result um, and just sitting there and not, it was very bizarre. It was like, I just, I didn't, I couldn't think, I didn't think anything. I didn't really feel anything. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea what this would mean. And you just kind of, all these things started to flash through in my head. I was like, well, what does this mean? Like, does this mean that I will never get married? Will it mean that I will never have a house? Will it mean that, you know, I really want a dog? Will I never get a dog? And like all these like things just start going through your mind. Um, and yeah, but I think at that point, it kind of, it, I didn't last in that sort of uh, mindset very long. I very did quickly turn into a, a more of a, okay, this has happened. There isn't anything that I can do about it in the sense of, I can't change it. Yeah. Like I have this now. Um, but what can I do? And I knew that I could fight this as hard as I can potentially fight this. Um, and so then that's what, you know, that's what I've tried to do now. I've just kind of tackled this in a, in a way of, well, I'm, you know, I can't, like, there's no magic pill. Yeah. It's not going to go away, but, um, I can look after myself and I can get through chemo and I can get through this treatment in the best way that I possibly can. And I can hopefully kick this into dust. Um, so it just kind of, I suppose, fueled me in a way, um, and pushed me through. Are you that sort of person? Are you the sort of person that has always had some sort of resilience or fortitude or was there something that surprised yourself even the way you handled it? Um, I think I've always been quite a, I've always been a competitive person. Yeah. It kind of comes from my like fitness background and everything. So I sort of saw this as a, not a competition as such, but a challenge. I was like, okay, this is challenging me. I'm not going to let this win. Like I'm, I want to win this. Um, so I think that's always been installed in me. I've just always been quite quite competitive in nature and sport and fitness. So, um, when a challenge does come my way, I do try and overcome that, but in the, in the best way that I can. But I also think that it has surprised me in how resilient I have been. I didn't actually, I never thought that I was as tough as now I feel like I am. Um, it has really surprised me the way that I've managed to deal with this and also stay positive throughout this as well. Um, I've always been quite a positive person, but this is kind of, you know, this takes a whole new realm of trying to be positive when you're fighting something like this. So, um, so yeah, I, it has surprised me. I think I've learned a lot about myself in the last year. That's for sure. What, what do you think has allowed you to be that way? Is it, is it literally just a case of, you know, this is not fair. This isn't. I'm not going to accept this as a result, and you still have your entire life to live. Is it just that determination that you you just don't accept what the doctors are saying to you as a 
as, as the end yeah, outcome of it? I think there's a lot of things that have kind of helped me keep that mentality. Um, that initial one, yes, I, I, I wasn't going to have someone say to me that I was only going to survive until I was 27. Yeah. I was like, no. Um, but then when I moved to the different hospital that I'm in now, um, they came at me with a lot more positive mindset of, we're not going to talk about numbers. Um, we're still going to talk about this as if we can cure this. Yeah. Um, and when he said that, like I needed that, I needed to yeah. hear that cure word. Like they can't make promises. No one can, but when he then said that, that reinstalled my hope. And I thought, okay, now I can fight. Like now I'm ready to fight. Um, and throughout the journey though, throughout the, my chemotherapy, a massive part of me remaining so strong and positive has been the incredible support that I've had. Yeah. Um, I've met so many people cause I've been very open about it on my social media. So, so you know, through my Instagram and everything, yep. it, it was something that I really wanted to do to create awareness, um, especially in young people that this can happen. So I've been very open, but also taking the taboo away from cancer, um, and to show what it really is like going through this this journey so um but through being so open about it I've gained so much um support and kind of been welcomed into a whole new community of people going through a similar thing and thanking me for being open and um and I've been able to speak to so many other people from you know all over the world so a huge part of me maintaining that fight and keeping going is like, I want to show to people that this can be done. You know, you can, yeah. you can fight this and you can stay strong. And yes, there are times where it's incredibly tough and you can feel like it's just getting too much, but you can do it and you will get through it. Um, so yeah, a, a huge part of it though has actually been like external people just massively helping me get through. The fact that you decided to chart this through social media, was that for you, you know, you obviously mentioned it was to raise awareness, but was it a coping mechanism? Was it a way that you also just wanted to chart you know, um, every day as it went? What was the thinking behind cataloging your journey of, of treatment? Yeah, it actually wasn't. I think I actually found it really difficult at the beginning to speak out about it. I remember yeah. putting out my first post to say that I had cancer and it took me at least five, six times to actually press the post button. I just couldn't do it. I was terrified to put it out there because it was becoming real. As soon as I put it out there on social media for everyone to hear, then it became real. Um, So yeah, I was terrified at doing that. And then, and it was hard and it has been hard at times. There are things where, you know, days where I'm just, um, some days suck. And you're like, I just really don't want to have to, put this out there and some people might say well don't do it but I'm like well no I will like I will say you know you can't always show the good like there isn't in this journey there are you know really rough times as well so I think it's incredibly important to put out the rough with the smooth all the time um and it has you know it has helped me I would say in some degree like I started up a blog as well so that helps me kind of sort of from a therapeutic's point of view I suppose of like yeah. writing those blog posts and things and getting that out there um it is a good technique to write that down and um for coping but the main reason why I did it was because no one would have expected this so obviously you know as I said earlier like no one expects to get cancer but from my perspective you know I'm a PT I've trained for years of my life um to a very high intensity yeah. trained for Ironman did CrossFit followed a vegetarian diet had no family history whatsoever 
Um, so all the things that kind of you do to not to try and prevent yourself from getting cancer, I was doing all of those things anyway. Didn't have any genes. Was very young, um, or I'm very young. So um, all of the things that just didn't add up, I suppose. And um, and I wanted to kind of shout about this to say like a combination of things first of all for people to be aware of their bodies and to kind of realize that this can happen to anyone um you know one in two people now get cancer and it's a terrifying statistic um and but then also I really want to plug for cancer doesn't discriminate against your age so neither should the medical system either you know I was disregarded and it's really sad now that I've put out my message a lot about my misdiagnosis how many women have come back to me to say that they either had the same thing or their daughters have had the same thing and women that have lost their daughters because of the fact that they weren't taken seriously when they found their original lump. Um, so that's really spurred me on to keep like pushing out this message. Um, and I will continue it further so that more young adults are scanned as a requirement when you go in it's not actually policy for them to scan you at a young age it's policy if you're over a certain age things over 45 but anything under it's not policy to scan if they find a lump um but it should be because like you know we're all living proof that lumps don't always mean hormones unfortunately and I guess you, I, I'm assuming that you have done a lot of research and spoken to a lot of people about that. The obvious question to ask is why this doesn't happen must be finance. Yeah. Which is not, yeah. is not right, is it? That that's the only reason that these scans and these yeah. tests are not available to younger people. Yeah. And you kind of think, how much does it cost to do an ultrasound? Yeah. It's really not that expensive, but is it at the cost of someone's life? I really don't think so. Um, and then when you look into, you know, the amount of money that they have to pay out through like law cases and people suing for misdiagnosis, that amount, it's an obscene amount of money that they have to pay out on a yearly basis, um, for these legal cases. Whereas you could just do an ultrasound and, you know, do a biopsy if need be. Um, but most of the time on the ultrasound, you can tell you can see if there is something suspicious or not um i understand the like with a mammogram so they say that they don't mammogram uh young females um which is the scan that you get on your breast because as a young female your breast tissue is denser so it's harder to pick up on um tumors with that i completely get that but an ultrasound um you can see it yeah. you know and and it's a lot easier it's you know less invasive um so yeah i think it can it it mainly comes down to finance and it comes down to time but as i said you know is it is it worth the cost of a life it really isn't absolutely not um yeah you mentioned earlier the the immediate anger which is obviously natural you but how long did it take you to jump from the why is this happening to me to that determination was it quite a quick step because you really did you feel as if you had no other choice but to to take this on as as aggressively as you could yeah um it it didn't last very long I uh, yeah I'll be honest I kind of um I think I got the result 
like days I think I like on a like a Wednesday and then yeah. I knew that and then that's when I you know had the anger and I had the you know why is this happening to me how on earth is this and then it was literally by the Monday I was in having like the brain surgery getting removed and I was signing the line on the Thursday saying yeah fine like cut my yeah. head open do it um so very quickly I went from kind of like a oh my god how on earth has this happened? Everything else in my body is clear. How on yeah. earth does a breast tumor suddenly shoot up to your head? Um, which is, you know, very, very uncommon. And I was kind of like, of course, I'm going to, you know, why do I have to be the the incredibly rare one that's like 0.03% chance or something that it happens? But um, yeah, that was just one day. And then by the evening that day, I was like, okay, let's do surgery. Let's get yeah. rid of it. Let's find out what it is. Um, and then by the time that I found out that it was cancer, I'd kind of already accepted that it was going to be, I just kind of knew. So when I then, when they told me that the brain tumor was confirmed that it was secondary to the breast, I was like, yeah, like I just kind of expected that. And, um, in a way, obviously the best result would have been that it was going to be benign, but I just knew that it wasn't really. And my surgeon had come to see me after my surgery and had said, that when he removed it, it didn't look like it was going to be benign. So I was kind of like, okay, you know, I accept that um, this is probably going to be like another cancer result. But um, actually in the grand scheme of things, it was better that it was a secondary cancer to the breast and not a um, different primary. Um, Because if it was two different cancers, which they thought initially, they thought it might be two different, then your treatment plan treatment yeah yeah it just messes up with the treatment so um in a way I was kind of strangely relieved to find out that it was secondary but also by that point I had accepted that it was yeah. um going to be and then I'd already adapted like I adopted that mindset of okay what's next yeah what do I have to do next how do we get rid of this um and let's just get cracking with it I'm not very patient so my, which my, my medical team has learned very quickly. I'm just kind of like, right, what do we need to do? How do we do it? When's the end date? Right, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, we have to wait for four weeks. No, well, how, how do we cut this shorter? <laughs> like two weeks, let's bargain. <laughs> and to, to get to that next stage, you obviously referenced your support network earlier. How, who has helped you? How have they helped you? Was, what has that been like for you know, to realize you've got so many people rallying around you. Yeah. Um, so massively my family, like my, my family have been there with me through, you know, each and every part of it. Like bless my mum. Uh, she came to every single results day that I had. And there were a lot of them in the end. So obviously I was yeah. constantly getting scanned and then we found this now another scan. Now we found this and that was pretty torturous. I can imagine from a mother's point of view to be coming into these and we never got good news. It was never a, you know, Oh, this is great. Like you're clear because it was always the, Oh, well that's clear, but now you've got a brain tumor. And, you know, so, um, it was incredibly tough for them, um, coming in and also through coronavirus and everything, obviously with the pandemic, um, I had to do all of this on my own. So going into brain surgery, I wasn't allowed visitors. So it was a case of dropping me off at the door, not knowing when they were going to see me again. Um, and so, yeah, it's been incredibly tough for them, but my family have been my rock through all of this. Um, I live with my brother and my boyfriend and, you know, he came and stayed with me throughout this whole treatment and, um, they've all been 
incredible um, throughout it, like temperature checking me throughout the night when I was like on my worst bit of my chemo because you have to constantly check for toxicity. Yeah. And I was always burning up, always like hot flushing, sweating, and um, the nausea was obscene um so like at times so you know having to see that different side of me as well yeah um you know like my mum said she didn't recognize me by the end of my fourth ec which is the the nasty one like the really evil chemo that you have at the beginning yeah um had four of those and by the fourth one i wasn't really yeah i just wasn't me um but um you know they stayed incredibly strong throughout all of it I think actually as well I've I've said throughout this that I actually think it's harder for the people around you sometimes than it is for you because I'm doing this so I know what's happening I go yeah. into the hospital and I know but no one else does especially through this pandemic you know in a normal time my mum could come in with me and then she could sit with me while I was having chemo yeah. and I think that would be very reassuring but right now you can't and so, and I think everyone then starts to kind of think the worst and, you know, or what if this is happening or what she's sad or what if she's you know, stressed. Yeah. So I think it was incredibly tough for them going through the pandemic as well. Um, but they have been my main rock and they have been, you know, a huge credit to all of this and for me staying strong. Um, and then also on the flip side of that, people that I've never even met before like the people that have reached out to me on social media that have been following my story from the beginning and the journey that I've gone through. Um, and on a daily basis, I get people reaching out to me um, and saying that they followed my journey and thanking me for being open about it. And, um, you know, saying that it's inspiring people and changing yeah. people. And, um, and that's been amazing. Um, and just the kindness of people, like the kindness of, I get surprise gifts through the post and I'm like, how on earth have these people got my address? Like it's like, it's kind of a bit like creepy sometimes, but, um, but then I always find out that they've actually got it through genuine ways. So I'm like, okay, it's fine. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, just the sheer kindness of people that you've never met before. It's unbelievable. Um, and that's all, you know, that's my, the, the main kind of like the rock of what's keeping me going at the moment. How helpful and, you know, needful has that social support been? Because it can be a cesspit sometimes, social media, but this shows you the really nice side of it. But especially through the pandemic, when you are on your own so much and you can't maybe have family come into treatment, has that been a help seeing that online support that people, you know, even though they are not with you as such, they're there for you? Yeah, hugely. Um, it makes you just feel, yeah, like you're not on your own at all. Um, and it's incredibly hard going through something like this in the pandemic, especially when you're shielding as well, because obviously, yeah. you know, you, you become um, clinically extremely vulnerable. So I had to shield, um, still am shielding. And that for me was the hardest part. I am a social being. I love being around my friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I couldn't even meet up on the one-to-one -one basis for a walk kind of thing. It was, you know, that was off limits to me. So that I found incredibly tough. Um, and there were times where I would feel like a bit lonely and I would feel like I'm kind of out of it. But those would only last for literally like five minutes. I might yeah. sit there and think, oh, I really miss my friends. But then... 
I would then get a message pop through and someone would, you know, like reply to my story on social media and yeah. kind of ask how I was. And, um, or someone would like pop through and say that they've been following my journey. And, you know, they just want to say to me that like, I've inspired them to go and get themselves checked at the GP and things like that. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And, um, and I now feel like I've met so many new people um and a whole new community of people as well that I've never felt alone throughout all of this um and I don't think I've ever really felt scared either because I then kind of got welcomed into this community of people that were going through or had gone through a similar thing to me and because I was being so open about it I think they felt that they could be open about it too um so then they were being open about it with me and you know messaging me directly and saying that they had the similar side effects or um you know kind of talking to me about things that they'd gone through and that was great because then it's like oh it's not just me yeah like you know I had some very quirky side effects sometimes and I was like but they don't warn you about and I was like what is happening um but then when I then put it out on my social media and I was like well I've got this one today like chemo roulette strikes again um and then you get people then come through and go oh god yeah I had that um and it's like oh I'm not a weirdo all right like you know I am semi-normal um so yeah like I think you know there is a lot of negatives to social media yes um and it can be very much kind of like an idealistic view of someone's life but I think the fact that I've not tried to be idealistic at all and I've just been you know putting out this is it this is what happens when you go through cancer um it's actually had a really positive effect um for me personally and I think for a lot of people as well that have seen me do it um because also at the end of the day like it's as I said like it's actually making people go and check themselves now and so many people I've had message actually have gone and had biopsies and have had ultrasounds and have booked into the GP and have found lumps and a couple of them unfortunately they you know have been diagnosed but at least they found it now um so uh yeah I think yeah social media has a lot to blame for sometimes but there is also this very positive side of it which um I think that I've tried to explore and got out a lot out of it um in this time there was there was one post I was looking at earlier and it's when you're talking about anxiety um Mm. which is obviously you would I guess you would get that at the at the worst and the best of times when you when you get a diagnosis like this but during the pandemic, during everything that's been going on, um, what has that been like for you in terms of trying to get a handle on your own mental health when everything like this is, is wrapped up in it? Hmm. Um, yeah, I had a very, it's been very rocky with the anxiety side of it. Um, even things like, uh, you know, people say, well, take a walk, like take a walk, you know, listen to a podcast or something yeah. like that, just kind of like calm your anxiety. But when you're shielding, walking is in itself a stress. Yeah. Um, you have to go out when the roads are quiet, when there aren't people. If there are lots of people, I had to turn around, I had to come back home. Um, and there are a lot of times where I'd go out just to try and clear my head. And then I would then come back even more anxious and even more stressed because I couldn't couldn't go anywhere and I just felt yeah. trapped. Um, and it was incredibly tough. And then also you know I and I'm I have a psychologist now as well like I I got help for it and I think that's incredibly important if people are suffering with anxiety or any kind of mental health issues is to go and seek the help that you need 
Um, but it was tough at the beginning because it was kind of when we were talking about things that helped me with my stress and helped me with my anxiety, it was things like exercise was one. Yeah, that was always something that I would use kind of that was my time that was my frame my hour to myself yeah. that I could do that and obviously I had my back surgery last year pre-diagnosis so a lot of my exercise was off limit um I couldn't really do much and you know I couldn't kind of throw a barbell around like I used to that was just completely off the cards so that took a lot of adapting as well finding techniques to actually help me stay calm and to help me um become less anxious because yeah. the things that I used to do, I just physically couldn't do anymore. Can't go for walks, can't exercise to the level that I used to. Um, getting back into it now, like I haven't obviously maintained my training throughout this. I've just adapted it to a different style. But at the beginning, I was kind of like, how on earth can I help my anxiety? Because all of the things that I thought that I knew that helped, I can't do anymore. Um, but it's just finding things that work for you. So now I paint very random mm. but I've just started painting um and I took it to a whole new level I completely redecorated my whole room I sort of went a bit mad like I I watched a series on Netflix and then I thought I was an interior designer and I just completely like redecorated my mm. room but now I'm on a smaller scale and I've got a canvas so we've kind of yeah we've gone less mental but um so yeah and it's you know doing things like that so now I'm sort of like painting a canvas that's my time to just like sit there to do yeah. it and it makes you focus you don't think about the outside world you don't think about what's going on um because it's you know like I love you know, I love everyone that's supporting me but like when they sort of say oh watch this series on Netflix and things like that as great as it is when you're in an anxious state or, yeah. you know, you're going through something like this, actually focusing on a Netflix series is the last thing that you can do because I just end up just wandering off and not watching it at all. Um, so it's fine trying to find ways that you can actually just focus your brain on what you are doing, whether that be a puzzle or whether that be, you know, a painting thing like I've got um, or like the mindful coloring books that you can do. Um and especially in this pandemic situation, you know, use the support that you've got around you with your friends, like video calls, just, you know, randomly like calling up people. I think it's um, as tough as the pandemic's been for everyone. I think it's actually made people though massively appreciate the fact that they potentially didn't reach out to yeah. um, others as much as they um, should have done before. And I think going forward, people will do that a lot more. So if you are feeling anxious or if you are feeling alone, don't just sit there by yourself with it. Um, you know, reach out to people and be open about the fact that that's how you're feeling. And I think it'd be, they'd be surprised at how receptive the people around them will be if they're in that situation. Um, no one's going to judge you for being anxious because at the end of the day, I think everyone is to some degree at this yep. point during sure. a lockdown. Um, so, yeah, being open, um, I think, is the best way to actually help yourself and also to help other people because you might think that you know your best mate is dealing with this really well but actually maybe they're not and if yeah. you reach out to them and say oh do you know what I'm feeling really crap today and I'm my my anxiety's through the roof I've had it where I've said that and then my mates have come back and gone oh my god I'm the same like do you want to go on a video call and let's just chat it out and then you know job so done much. yeah yeah and obviously, when I found out about your story was was through Scott, and he had sort of mentioned you got in touch just to say, send me some programming. And how how helpful has has were you aware of? Were you you know acutely aware of of battle cancer and what Scott was doing 
No, I actually wasn't. Um, How did that come Yeah, I, well, I became aware of battle cancer when I was diagnosed with it. Um, when I was diagnosed with cancer, it popped up on my Instagram, I think maybe like, you know, using the same hashtags and things like that. And then yeah. I saw that loads of people that I'm connected with or that I know in the industry and stuff, they then followed them. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. What's this? Yeah. And then I then looked into it and went onto their website. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like this is such a, an unbelievable movement that they're doing. Um, and yeah, so then I reached out to them and I just kind of said like, if there is anything that I can do to, you know, help you guys, like I would love to be able to kind of um, get on board because what they're doing is amazing, you know, with the battle cancer program that's going on and it's a, you know, free worldwide program for people to get them back into fitness and into living post cancer treatment, which is incredibly important. And so many people, um, and I know personally, like so many people have messaged me to say that they want to get back into exercise, but they don't know how to do it. And they're yeah. really intimidated by it. And then that's the whole point of the battle cancer program is to be able to help people like that. Um, and obviously also on the fundraising side of it as well. So, um, yeah. And I just thought, you know, I want to be as involved with these guys as I possibly can. And then through that, um, they are just the, one of the kindest, most, you know, supportive group of people, um, that I have come in contact throughout this journey. They've, you know, sent me like unbelievable gifts in the post, like, a this back belt that I've got, which literally is like saved my day every day. It's incredible. Like a heating vibrating back belt which I didn't wow. even know existed but like it's you know it's fantastic and um and I couldn't believe it like when that came in the post I was like oh my god like these people are unreal and then since then um I've just built up a really great rapport with them they've been massively supportive and obviously they see me training a lot yeah. and um praising that and um and then yeah now I'm just excited to hopefully actually get down to their events and to support them and help them with their fundraising so I think it's an incredible movement that they're trying to do so when you were training then how how did the training work with the treatment how difficult was it what just talk me through what that that sort of scheduling program was like for you um, yeah, it was difficult at first to kind of find a groove, I suppose. Yeah. When I was at the beginning of chemo, um, well, actually post-brain surgery, I'll go back to then. So post-brain surgery, it was very much, I had to be incredibly careful with what I did to not create any intracranial pressure okay. in my head. So I couldn't lift weights, couldn't really resistance train. My neurosurgeon knew what I was like, and he knew that I literally one of my first questions was, when can I exercise again? Um but I wanted to do it because I was like, I need to maintain my health. I need to maintain my fitness because I've got a long journey ahead of me. And one of the incredibly important things that will actually help you through treatment and to, you know, through um, fighting cancer is exercise yeah. and um, health. So I kind of was trying to think of the long-term program. So I worked with him to come back into a kind of rehab. It was like, okay, well, three weeks post-op, we can start to introduce some sort of cardio but my heart rate had to maintain at a certain level couldn't go too high had a little stationary like bike at home so I would just pedal quite you know softly on that um and then build it up from that and then when I then found out that I had chemo coming up in October I was like right well I need to 
make sure that I'm heading into chemo in the best way that I possibly can right yeah. now. Obviously, my fitness level, my strength and everything is going to be very, very different to what it was a year ago because, you know, I had my back and everything like that, it just, I haven't been able to do it. But for me at that moment, I wanted to be the best that I could be going into it. So I made a lot of adaptations. I can't lift heavy weights still, but I've got resistance bands, which actually have been just as good for me. Um, And I built up a schedule from there going into chemo. Um, I was just starting to build up my cardio a little bit. I was able to get my heart rate up a little bit higher. My neurosurgeon was happy with that. I got all ticked off and cleared, um, which again is very important. Don't do exercise, obviously, without getting clearance from your medical team. Um, but then when I then started chemo, it was very much a case of just trying to find my groove. Um, your journey is your journey. When you go through chemo, you can't actually compare it to anyone else's. It, you, it's very different for everyone. Some people will be really plagued with fatigue. Some people will be really plagued with nausea. Um, and you don't really know what you're going to get until you go through it. So for me personally, my first EC chemo, which I call the red devil, because it's like the, it's literally fluorescent red liquid that gets pumped into you. Um, that's the sort of the nasty one. You get four of those. So I had four every two weeks and, um, and it gets progressively worse. So it's yeah. cumulative. So by the fourth one, it's obviously worse than the first one, but also the, to counteract the nausea, they pump you with steroids. So I had chemo on the Thursday and then by the Friday, I thought I was superwoman and I went for like an 8K walk, came back, did a workout and I was like, this is great. Like chemo is not getting me. I'm not fatigued. I'm fine. Yeah, I was left right in centre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, press ups. Like my mum came to visit. She was like, what the hell are you doing? Sit down. I was like, no, I'm fine. Like I'm absolutely fine. Saturday came, went for a walk, had to get an Uber home and I was wow. like, right okay like this shows me this can't this you know i'm not okay um and this the the steroids can make you feel like you are kind of superhuman they will sort of like you know bump you like buzz you up and um i was always on those for like two to three days post chemo for the nausea um and obviously they pump you with it intravenous as well when you're having the chemo as well so it's very important that you kind of don't just think oh I'm absolutely fine I can do everything because actually it's more of a mask it's just masking the fact that actually no you've still got a very very toxic drug pumping around your body um so I learned my lesson very quickly from day one that that wasn't going to be a case of what I could do so I kind of adopted a plan and then it changed quite a lot throughout but it was pretty much it was chemo on a Thursday, Friday I would walk because it would just help to get some oxygen to what I could do. So, you know, it would vary in length week by week, but, um, I would go for a walk and then that was pretty much my activity for the day. Then when Saturday came, I would do some sort of light resistance work, body weight mainly. Um, and then I would kind of alternate between like a body weight resistance and then a cardio light cardio throughout my EC. And then I maintained that, um, and always making sure that if I woke up in the morning and I didn't feel great, didn't feel like I had the energy, then I didn't do anything. But to counteract that, a massive part of me not actually being that fatigued throughout this whole treatment has been me maintaining activity. 
Um, it's kind of a catch-22. If you sit down for too long because you feel fatigue, you'll spiral yeah. and your body will feel more fatigued. So my oncology team were always very um, supportive of the fact that I wanted to maintain an exercise. And when I went in to have my checkups with them, my oncologist would always say, are you managing to still be active? And I would always say, yes, I am. I'm still walking. I'm still doing my resistance training. I was like, okay, fantastic. Great. Obviously don't push yourself to a, yeah. you know, obscene limit, do what you can, but the more you can maintain that, the better it's going to be in counteracting the side effects, which it has. Um, and once I got through those four ECs, I then went on to a weekly taxol routine. So I then had uh, Paxotaxel is what it's actually called every week on the Tuesday. Um, and thankfully, I didn't get that many side effects with that. I didn't get played with the, like I was fatigued on the day that I had the chemo itself. Yeah. I'd come home to sleep. And then I'd then wake up on the Wednesday morning and pretty much be OK. Um, I think I'm potentially one of the only people to ever have got an assault bike during chemo. Um, I got that at Christmas. So, um, which I was really excited about. My dad actually won it in a cancer research raffle. And um, I was super excited because I hadn't been on one for like a year. Got cl- got clearance from my physio from my back. And I was like, can I use the assault bike? She was like, yeah, that should be fine because it's not impact, it's not running. So I was like, great. Um, and I've actually been incredibly shocked with how well my body has responded to it. I'm yeah. kind of... Um, I, again, I'm very much in, like intuitive with my body. So if there are days where I don't feel like I want to do it, I just listen to that and I'm like, yeah. nah, I'm not going to do that. I might do, uh, I focus on more like mobility stuff. I'm still, you know, a bit of resistance work because yeah. chemotherapy can strip your muscle mass as well. So it's quite important that you keep that up. Um, but then on the days where my energy was good, I would go on the assault bike, which I know to a lot of people is mental. But um, also, it's Doing a reflect- not doing treatment is mental. <laughs> I know. I do call it the vomit comet. It's my nickname <laughs> for it previously. It's the only cardio machines that have ever actually made me sick. Um, not recently, a long time ago. I'm not pushing myself to that level. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with that machine. I quite enjoy it in a very strange yeah. way. I think everybody um, does. Yeah. But, um, but it was great to be able to do that. And um, But it's also important to note that I obviously use this machine a lot previously. So I think yeah. whatever kind of training routine you do pick up and whatever exercise you do throughout your treatment, it should be reflective of what you've done before. You know, yeah. if you didn't run before, don't think that you're going to do a marathon now um it's what you your body was kind of adapted to and it knew um so you know I was used to training at a very intense level I used to use the assault bike a lot um so my body kind and even though it had been a while like I I knew my body knew what it was doing in that sort of um in that way so I was never experimenting or pushing myself with new things um and yeah so now kind of my training program has been a mixture of doing the assault bike for my cardio I do that for the conditioning and then I then try and get at least like three resistance sessions in a week like full body mixture of body weight resistance um not to a level that I'm going to be incredibly sore because that's also very important chemo and also the immune injections you take stimulate muscle and joint pain um, so it's important that when you are exercising, you just do it to a level that is enough for obviously your body to work, 
um, but not to a level that you're going to wake up the next day and have like Dom, you know, yeah. Dom's time thousand um because i have had that as well like i was always someone that did used to get like delayed muscle soreness but um when chemo started and i went to do like a route like a i did a resistance like thing that i've done previously and i was like yeah that should be fine and then i woke up the next day unable to move and i was like wow okay i need to take this back very much so like you just yeah a lot less reps yeah. a lot less light weight um just so that your body can move so you're getting the blood around the body but that's all you need to do really throughout the treatment and i guess it's not why you did it but one of the things scott had said that um you know this whole idea of exercise and during treatment it sort of stops making people feel sorry for you and and some of scott and his organization are inspired by people like yourself instead of having that oh what's wrong with you they can see that you're grinding through it you're working hard uh, and like I said I guess that's not the motivation but it must be nice that that's the outcome of it yeah yeah hugely um I kind of yeah I think as well like I, I've said before it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy as well in a way like if you yeah. sit there and do you feel sorry for yourself like it's very destructive um and you know of course there are times where you will feel sad and that's completely normal and you know and you will feel like oh I just can't cope with all of this yeah um but I just try to very quickly snap myself out of that and um you know and yeah I've used my training program as well like to not used it as such but I think with doing that training it's helped me see that actually my body isn't broken I don't see myself as broken yet yes I've got this disease but um I'm fighting this disease and yeah. you know, that's what I'm, that's what I'm determined to do. So when I do do the exercise and I complete it, um, or, you know, and I like hit the target that I potentially want to hit, um, I'm like, okay, like I can do this. Um, and I feel like that sort of keeps me strong as well because I'm like, well, cancer's not winning. Like I'm winning yeah. this. Um, and, and yeah, it's been, you know, I've never really, like on the days that I am feeling lower, I am open about it on my social media, as I said, because I think it's important to show people that side. But actually, I don't have that many down yeah. days um, because I just do try and keep my head strong. And I just kind of think, well, if I start to feel sorry for myself, if I start to feel kind of down about this, then I see that as the cancer winning because then I'm feeling like crap. Um, and it's because of that. Whereas if I counteract that and I think, no, nope, I'm going to keep my head strong, I'm going to, you know, if it is the assault bike, I'll do that. Or I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do something. All those kind of things. um, It reaffirms to me that actually, no, I'm living my life. I'm not letting that disease define me. um, And I'm not letting it overshadow what I'm doing. Um, And yeah, and it's nice that people can see that. And then um, for them to comment, like Scott has said that, you know, I'm, they don't feel sorry for me, which you know, which I like, which is kind of, it's a, yeah, it's a nice thing. And obviously this week has been a big milestone for you in terms of your last uh, chemo treatment. Where where are you at now? Like, what do you, where do you consider yourself to be in the journey and the fight against this? Um, I think it's also, well, it's very normal. Um, and also important, I think, to note that when you do finish chemo, there's a part of you that feels a bit lost 
it's a bit strange. You've kind of lost that routine. Okay. Like you become yeah, you can become sort of a little bit institutionalized in the chemo routine that sort of like Tuesday was my chemo day, Wednesday was my recovery day, yeah. Thursday would come, and then weirdly I'd be like, Oh, Thursday's here. That means tomorrow's Friday, which means it's the weekend, yeah. which means that it's almost Tuesday. Yeah. And so I was kind of like always in this like sort of it got me through the week because I would then always think to you know when's my chemo day oh it's getting closer and then and I plan my week that so when I then finished on Tuesday and then you know obviously I was elated to have finished chemo but there was still a part of my brain that was still programmed to go okay so tomorrow's Wednesday so that means I've got to do that on Thursday Friday because then I've got chemo Tuesday oh wait no I don't have chemo Tuesday and it was very strange and I'm still adapting to it it's you know it's only been a couple days so um I'm still sort of in this period of like what do I do with myself but um in the same way cancer doesn't stop unfortunately so I got, you know, thrown straight back into it. 48 hours later, I was back in the MRI tunnel, back in the CT scanner. um, And then I'll be back there next Tuesday to get those results. So it is kind of just like a constant spiral, which in a way can feel like it's never ending. But as I said at the beginning, you know, just one step at a time. So I just know that I have my result, like I have my scans. What's the next step? Okay, I'll get my results. And then we will then go forward with treatment. Um, My treatment's not that straightforward. They need to sit down with a complete um, multidisciplinary team because um, I'm just a bit of a confusion, I suppose. Um, and which, you know, which is fine. And it's actually really reassuring. And it's great that they're going to sit down with a huge team of people to come to a conclusion, um, that the majority of them decide on, um, which is nice to know that I'm going to have like a lot of different opinions coming in. Um, but so at the moment I'm sort of in a kind of limbo of, I don't really know what my next step of treatment like that confirmed is I'm pretty sure it's going to be radiotherapy they floated the idea that I may not need it if the chemotherapy has um worked on what was left in my head but um from my days with the neurosurgeon he was very very confident that radiotherapy would be the way to go just to be safe um and just to cover all basis and then I know 100% that I'll be having breast surgery um but I'm hoping, obviously, as I said, I'm quite impatient. So I'm hoping that it will be as quickly as we can possibly yeah. do it. Um, so that I can have an actual nice summer this year and not have a summer that was kind of obviously my summer last year was all full of like scans and diagnosis. So it'd be quite nice to have an actual like a good summer this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's very normal to feel lost at this point of time um, and to kind of feel like you're not really sure what's happening next or you know what to do with your daily routine because my day just revolved around chemo essentially um but in the same way um I am very relieved to not have to go and put that cold cap on my head again and to you know not have those drugs pumped into me and I think it's about time that my body has a little bit of a detox from all of the I think I've counted 35 different drugs I've had in the last 12 months a mixture of like painkillers, anti-inflammatories, chemo, anti-nausea, like all of that sort of stuff. So um, I'm going to enjoy my time of letting my body chill out yep. <laughs> um, and relax a bit more. But um, And then, yeah, see what the treatment plan has installed for me in the next couple of weeks. Um, but in the meantime, I'll just continue to paint and smash it out on my assault bike, really. <laughs> 
Amazing. I mean, like I said at the beginning, it's such a, and everyone has said this, I'm sure many people have said this to you, it's a really incredible story. Um, and I can't believe there's been a, an interview where, you know, I'm not even touched on the fact that you were paralysed or almost paralysed. That's just a ridiculous <laughs> run of bad luck. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird as well, because I'm still in recovery from that. So I'm still doing physio for that. Um, but then some days I just forget about it. Like I yeah. forget that, you know, like the other day I was doing a workout and I was like, oh, for God's sake, like why are these lunges so hard on this leg? And then I was like, oh yeah, it's because it didn't work. <laughs> like 12, you know, almost a year ago, it yeah. actually wasn't working. So that's why it's hard. Um, and because so much of my time now is just focused on the cancer side of things, yeah. I forget about that. But yeah, I essentially I herniated my L4, L5 um, and it le- like leaked out and it was compressing the nerve. Um, and I, the, the day that I did it, it kind of, it felt like someone stabbed me in the back, but then the pain went away. And then it was then the following morning that um, I sort of developed this like limp drag um, when I was walking. So it was kind of, my leg was just a little bit slower. It was just sort of like dragging behind me. And I was like, this is a bit strange. So I had a spare pair of crutches from a previous ankle injury. And, um, so I thought, oh, I'll just use those. And, um, stupidly went on a walk. I don't know what, like, I just kind of thought, oh, I'll be all right. Yeah. So I then started to walk I went to go on a walk. And then I then thought, no, this really isn't normal. This isn't okay. So I took myself to A&E. Um, and by the time I got to A&E, my leg just didn't move. Uh, my foot wasn't moving, couldn't move my toes, couldn't lift my leg. Um, and then, yeah, it was unconfirmed that I'd herniated the disc. It was compressing on the nerve um, and that I needed to have um, spinal surgery. And I was living on my own at that point um, because my brother had moved back with my mum and dad. So he was living there in lockdown. Um, so I literally texted my mum from A&E just to say, by the way, um, I'm having spinal surgery. Um, I'm not quite sure what's happening, but, um, and cause I couldn't call cause I was like in the hospital room. Um, and then as it was, I couldn't go down for surgery that day cause they had a, a broken spine came in, which kind of was a little bit more important than me. Um, so I was then scheduled in, yeah. uh, first thing in the morning and, um, yeah, went in, had my spinal surgery. And then I was in there for about four or five days, I think in the end, didn't quite go to plan. Uh, the surgery went quite smoothly, but the after effects were pretty severe. They couldn't get a handle on my pain. Um, for some reason, none of the pain meds would just work with me. My body was just metabolizing them in like in too quickly, essentially. Yeah. And it just wasn't hitting the pain, but they weren't allowed to move me out of bed until I didn't feel pain. So I was just stuck on my back for about four days, um, like peeing in bedpans, which was really not enjoyable. No one warned me about that. It was, it was a case of, Oh, you might be out the same day. So I was like, okay, great. And then four days later, I'm still peeing in a bedpan. I was like, this is not what I signed up for. Um, uh, but yeah, and then but then I came home and recovery was going um, pretty well actually. Like I, my physio has been amazing, um, and I took it really seriously. Um, I took the physio really seriously. You know, I do all the exercises, 
um, that I'm told to do. So much core strength is involved because um, my my core, when you have back surgery, your core just completely forgets what it's doing. Yeah. So that's been a massive part of my recovery. Um, unfortunately, it slowed down a bit now with the chemo. Um, I haven't been able to progress with my physio um, just because your body gets really sore and tired and it's really important that you don't do anything that can potentially cause it harm with the fascia and the muscles and everything that's going on. So that slowed down a little bit, but now that I finished chemo, uh, the plan is to get back into it. Um, pretty excited. I get to go on the anti-gravity treadmill. Um, so I can then start to reintroduce running a little bit, just some more impact stuff. Um, so that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks now that I finish chemo by the time that my body's kind of recovered a little bit, give it a two week rest and then I'm, can go on that with the physio and start to reintroduce those sorts of things so um so yeah it's getting there it has its good days it has its bad days um it's just trying to remember everything as well like trying yeah. to remember in the you know I'm like oh god I've got to do my core exercises and I've got to do this and then I've got to do my mobility and then but then it's like but now I've got to take my injections for my chemo and air um so <laughs> there is so much to remember um when you've got all of that going on um so yeah it's very easy to forget about the fact that I actually had um, pretty much like life-saving surgery, I suppose. Yeah, you've, you've been through it for sure. Do you let yourself yeah. think about the future? Um, yeah, to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, but I think my focus has changed massively. So I do think about the future in the sense of uh, my focus has changed to I want to be able to train people um, that are going through cancer treatment. So I'm gaining some new qualifications to be able to do that. Um, and I think my client base is going to be very different now going forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I will still keep the clients, but I, you know, I love and I love training people for all sorts of reasons, but, um, I really want to focus on the importance of exercise and, um, like through treatment and post-treatment as well. Yeah. Um, so I think about that, I think, you know, far enough ahead that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get these qualifications and that's my, that's my focus. And also on the other side of it, outside of the fitness world, my focus as well is that I want to still talk about, you know, my story, my situation. I still want to resonate with people to create awareness. So I've started obviously the blog, but potentially I'm kind of thinking, oh, should I go into a book? Like kind of thinking about that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I do still plan ahead I think it's very difficult as well at the moment to plan just with the pandemic yeah um you know you can't really plan it's not like I can be like oh I'm gonna go to on holiday and like stuff like that like um which as much as I would absolutely love to do right now like I don't plan those kind of things um but that's more of just a pandemic side of thing um but in terms of my life plan yes I still want to be able to um you know push forward with my career and I still want to be able to have my own house and you know do those sorts of things um and I still want to get a dog and you know all of that I don't I don't let it kind of overshadow that side of it because in my I think that's the worst thing that you can do if I sort of sit there and think well someone told me once that I could only have two years to live so that means I can't do any of these things because you know what if I get a dog and then I can't look after that dog like that sort of thing um, I think is very detrimental 
Um, so I don't think like that. I think, well, someone told me I can fight this and someone told me that we can potentially cure this. And I believe in my head that I can fight this. And, you know, the scans so far have been very good and I've had a very like, positive um, reaction to the treatment so far. So because of that, I let myself plan forward and yeah. think about the things that I do want to do with my life um, and not let it limit me. And, and essentially just don't let cancer define you as a person either um, and limit the life that you've got. Well, it doesn't sound like anything or anyone is going to stop you getting the dog, the house and continuing. <laughs> um, and for everything that's going on, again, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to speak to me. You're welcome. I thank you for asking me to come on. Thanks for listening to the Legacy Pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe and share and pass the word. There's going to be plenty more episodes dropping in the next few weeks. So I'll see you next time.